Well, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, good afternoon. That's right. Um, a quick message before, a quick note before we get into the text today. I want to say a quick word, especially to the parents, and particularly parents of young kids. You know, there's um, uh, a few times, Matt and I, we've been speaking, and then somebody will come up to us after the message and just apologize and say, oh, you know, I'm sorry, you know, so little so-and-so was being so loud, I tried to keep him quiet, but, and just be very apologetic. And, and I think, you know, Matt, you can back me up on this, that pretty much every time our response has been like, oh, we didn't hear that at all. We, 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 we were just, no, I mean, it didn't, wasn't a distraction. We didn't, you know, we didn't even, even notice it. Um, and I think, I just want to say that, you know, I mean, I'm a parent of small kids, six, three, and one. And, you know, I think that as parents, oftentimes we can be, very often our kids kind of squirming or, you know, being loud or, or not sitting in their seat or whatever can be more distracting to us than it can be the people around us sometimes. Does that make sense? And um, so I, that's all just to say that, you know, we, we love your kids, we love you, and we don't want you, you being afraid of being a distraction to other people to prevent you from coming out and worshiping with us together. You know, um, we know that some of us are, are, are still uh, concerned about COVID. I mean, all of us are still concerned about COVID. I'm still concerned about COVID, but I know that, that some of you might be choosing to worship at home because of concerns about COVID. And we completely respect that. Uh, yeah, we want to support that. And, and yeah, we completely understand that. But just please don't let being afraid that your kids will be a distraction to those around you be the reason that you don't come out. Okay, because, you know, as we think about what we're doing here, um, yeah, like, like, what is this? This is really, we talked several weeks ago about how really what we are is we're a family, right? We're, we're a family. And so I think sometimes we can think that this needs to be kind of like a, this is kind of like a concert, you know, and if your child coughs during the concert, then, or, or you know, cries during the concert, then just going to throw somebody off and they're going to get upset or something like that. Or, or maybe it's like a lecture and it's supposed to just be silent, like in a library. And that's not, you know, this isn't a lecture. This isn't a concert. What this is, is a family gathering. And, and there is teaching, there is music, but, but we're a family. And one of the cool things about family is that family includes multiple generations. And, you know, we love your kids and we love all of their squirming and their crying and all that stuff. So, um, on the other hand, if your child gets on a souped-up three-wheeler and starts to do wheelies on the other side of the road, then that might be a problem. For people that were just watching the live stream and weren't actually here with us in person, the tent, it, so there was somebody on a, on a three-wheeler, like not just like a tricycle, but like a, you know, one of those off-road three-wheelers, um, and just literally doing wheelies on the side, on the other side of the road, just making a ton of noise. But then I think if you just watch the live stream, you couldn't hear that at all. So you just think I was really ADD. <laughs> and I was, I'm just, I'm just watching the, the cars drive down the road. That's not what was happening. It was actually very, very loud. And, and, and anyway, so um, let turn with me today to Luke chapter six. That's where we're going to be going is Luke chapter six. So Luke chapter six, and remember we've been talking about this, this concept of sin and in one of the most clear gospel summaries in the New Testament, 
Paul in 1 Timothy 1.15 says that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And we said that for many people, and particularly people that are, that are younger, kind of the millennials and younger generations, can really be offended by this word sin and this concept of, of sin. So we've been unpacking what this means and what it doesn't mean. And, you know, last week, last week we talked about what we were created to do. And we said, you might be awesome at not killing people. You know, you might be the best not murderer ever. You, you might be great at not, you know, cussing people out. You might be a very nice person, but we were designed to be more than just nice people who don't cheat on our taxes and who don't kill people. We were created to be image bearers of God, people that when you look at us, we, you can see what God is like. And all of us fall really pathetically short of, of that purpose that we were intended for. And that's what it means is that we sin. It's not that we're always just doing pure evil, the worst possible thing you can imagine, but it's that we never in any area of our life can fully give a clear picture to the world of who God is and the way he loves and how just he is and the way he is slow to anger and, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, let's look at Luke chapter six. This is verses 43 through 45. And the question we're going to be talking about today is, why do we sin? Okay, we, we talked about last week that we do sin because we don't accurately represent who God is. But why do we sin? Let's look at Luke 6, 43 through 45 and see what it says. This is Jesus teaching, and he says, For no tree bears bad, no good tree, for no good tree bears bad fruit. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from, from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the, of the heart, his mouth speaks." out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So talking about this idea of sin, and, you know, I think maybe there's some people that are thinking, okay, so sure, if what we're designed to do is to be image bearers of God, to love like God loves, to be just and to be fair like God is just and like God is fair, to, to forgive like God forgives, Okay, sure, yeah, all of us, all of us fall short of that. that. That's true. But I think some people might say, and I wonder if this might be something that you've maybe even said out loud, maybe you haven't said it out loud, but you thought it in your heart, which is something along the lines of, well, okay, so maybe I sin sometimes, but I'm not a sinner, right? I sin sometimes. You know, everybody sins, but I'm not a sinner And, I th and sometimes we, sometimes when we do something that doesn't faithfully represent God, we can make excuses. You know, we can say, okay, you know, I, I might have done those things, but that's not, you know, that's not indicative of, of what's inside of me. That was, that was an aberration. You know, that was a fluke. You know, have you ever heard, you know, when an athlete or a celebrity gets in trouble and you get this apology, it's kind of like, okay, I did this terrible thing, but you know, and I'm very, very sorry for it, but that doesn't, that's not a reflection of who I am. 
All right, have you heard her an apology like that recently? Yeah, and I think in the same way, oftentimes we can make excuses for our sins and say that, okay, you know, I might do this sometimes, you know, I, I might lose my temper sometimes, but that isn't, that's not a reflection of what's inside of me. You might say, okay, I, I lose my, yeah, sure, I lose my temper, but the reason I lose my temper is because my husband is so insensitive. Right, that's why I lose my temper. You know, he makes me so mad. Have you ever said that or heard that before? You know, that person just makes me so mad. As if we're just like a, you know, we have like a mad button and somebody can press the mad button and then you have no choice but to, but to lose your temper. Right, or we might say, you know, the, the reason that I'm obsessed with getting people's approval, well, okay, sure, I might be that way, but the reason I'm that way is because my parents were so hard on me when I was growing up. Or you might say, okay, well, sure, I, you know, I, I'm, I look at pornography or I'm addicted to pornography, but you know, the, the reason is just because I'm so lonely or, or the reason is that my wife just doesn't have time for me. Or you might say, well, okay, yeah, sometimes I disrespect my parents, I disrespect my parents, but it's just because my parents are so unreasonable or I get mad at my kids, I lose my temper with my kids, but it's just because they don't listen to me. And basically what we're saying is that, okay, sure, sometimes sin will come out of me, but that's just because there's sin around me. Okay, you know, people are unfair to me, people are unkind to me, people hurt my feelings. You know, I'm not getting my needs met, I'm not getting enough love, I'm not getting enough support, and, and that's the reason that I, that I do these things, right? So I, it's not that I'm a sinner, it's that I just don't, I'm not getting my needs met, and, and this is how I respond when I'm not getting my needs met. And, you know, if that's the case, this whole series we've been talking about, what? We've been talking about our need for a savior, and if that's the case, that really what's going on here, it's not that I'm a sinner and that's why I'm sinning, it's because you know, I'm not being loved enough. Okay, if that's the case, well then what I really need is not somebody to save me, I just need a little bit more love. If really the reason I'm losing my temper is because my husband or my wife or my kids or my boss or whoever is so unreasonable, okay, I don't really need a savior to save me from my sin of losing my temper I just need a, a new boss or, or a new wife or a new kid or, or whatever. But let's look at what the Bible says. What do we just read in, in Luke chapter six? It talks about this, this connection between, it's talking about a fruit tree, right? Or, or a bush or any type of plant. And it's talking about this connection between the root of the tree and the fruit of the tree. Does that make sense? So if you look at a, you know, a, a tree, okay, let's say there's a good tree, like a good apple tree, all right? It's, it's no coincidence if you walk down the road and you see, not that there's apple trees on the side of the road, if you're walking down, a, down the path in an apple orchard, maybe, um, and, and then you see a, a beautiful apple tree with just these luscious, you know, delicious, ripe apples, it, it's not a coincidence, right? It's because there's healthy roots to this tree and that's why it's producing this good fruit. You know, a good tree produces bad fruit, or a good tree produces good fruit. And in the same way, if, you, if you're, you know, looking at a, a fruit tree and you see just these rotten, kind of shriveled, you know, 
nasty looking apples on the tree, it's not a coincidence. It's not just, you know, somebody like, you know, spinning a wheel and, oh, it landed on bad fruit. So that's what's going to come out this time. No, it's because the tree itself is unhealthy. It's because the root itself is unhealthy. And that's why it's producing this bad fruit, this, this unhealthy fruit. Does that make sense? So Jesus is making a connection between a fruit tree and, and us. And, and all throughout the Bible, we see lots of times where Jesus describes us like, like a tree or, or like, a, like a vine. You know, I'm the vine and you are the branches. Abide in me and if my word abides in you, you'll bear much fruit, right? And so what he's saying here is that in the same way that if a, if a tree, a fruit tree has good roots, it's gonna bear good fruit. And if it has bad roots, it's gonna bear bad fruit. In the same way, for human beings, if your heart is full of, of goodness, of love, of holiness, then guess what's gonna come out of you? Well, the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control, right? But if what's in your heart is talking about, okay, the good person has this, this good treasure, you know, it's got this, this good stuff just stored up and packed away in his heart. And so that's why good stuff comes out of his mouth and comes out through his actions. But if we have bad stuff, if we have sin and evil stored up in our hearts, then what's going to come out? You know, losing our temper, lust, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, and, and things like that, right? And so, and then he summarizes it in verse, in verse 45, at the end of verse 45, when he says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So why do you say what you say? According to, to Jesus, it's because your heart is full of something. And when your heart gets so full that it's overflowing, it's just starting to bubble over and spill over. Well, then you say something. And what you're say, what comes out of your mouth is what was in your heart. And the same way, you know, why do you do what you do? Well, you do what you do because your heart, it, it's, it's full of something. And, and when it starts to spill over, it spills out into your actions, right? So basically what Jesus is saying, to use a, a different analogy, um, uh, imagine that you have a cup, right? You have like one of those, you know, styrofoam cups, and so let's say that I had a cup. Would have been great if I actually brought a cup, but imagine a cup right here, imaginary cup. And, and so there's this cup right here, and, and then I just take my hand and I just knock it over. Just knock the cup over. And then water spills out all over the ground. Okay, then we could ask the question, why did water spill out onto the ground? And I guess you could say, well, because you knocked it over, stupid, <laughs> right? But, but in actuality, the reason that water spills out of the cup, I guess, you know, me knocking it over caused what was on the inside of the cup to come to the outside of the cup. But really the reason that water came out of the cup is because there was water inside the cup, right? In the same way, if you had a different cup and there was juice in that cup, and then I knocked that cup over, then juice would come out, 
If there's juice inside the cup, then when you knock the cup over, then juice comes out of the cup. If there's water inside the cup, if you knock the cup over, then water comes out of the cup, right? So what's, what's filling up the cup inside is what comes out of it when it gets tipped over. And Jesus is saying that we're the same way, okay? And we can tend very often to blame our sin on the actions of the people around us or maybe the stresses of life or things like that. But really, really what Jesus is telling us is that the reason that sin comes out of you, the reason that sin comes out of me, is not because of sin that's around you, sin that other people are doing to you, but it's because of sin that is inside of you. Okay, the reason sin comes out of you is because there's sin inside of you. And so, you know, when we're not getting our emotional needs or our relational needs met by our spouse, it's like tipping that cup over, right? You're tipping that cup over when, you know, when we lose our job and then we're, we're crunched financially. It's like, it's like you're tipping that cup over. And whatever comes out of us when the circumstances of life kind of, you know, tip us or, or shake us or sometimes just, you know, smash us and crush us, what comes out of us is going to be determined by what's inside of us, right? So let me ask you a question today, which I think is a very important question. And that question is, what type of fruit are you getting? What type of fruit are you seeing in your life? What types of words are you saying? What types of actions are you doing? Let's think about that for a second. Have you been seeing and have the people around you who are close to you, have they been experiencing, what have they been experiencing from you? Is it love? Is it joy? Is it patience? Is it forgiveness? Is it a servant heart? Is it self-control? Is that what has been coming out of you in your actions and your words recently? Or has it been anger? Has it been unkind words? Has it been lust? Has it been jealousy? Has it been greed? Has it been anxiety? What's been coming out of you recently? What type of fruit have you been getting? Because certainly the circumstances around us are very important, but ultimately what those are, are just things that are kind of tipping the cup over and exposing what's on the inside. Just like the fruit of a tree that comes out of a tree exposes the condition of the roots. It's the same way with, with us. So what do we do when we get bad fruit? You know, what should we do when we get bad fruit? How do we handle that? Well, I want to give kind of, I guess you could say like a case study. I want to, this is kind of a way that this has worked for me. This is a way that it's looked for me recently. Um, so a, a few years ago, and maybe some of you can relate to this, I, I think one of the more difficult things when we talk about sin is people have different sin struggles, right? You know, some people struggle with losing their temper. You know, some people don't struggle with losing their temper, but they struggle with being afraid to face conflict, right? You know, some people might struggle with being a workaholic. Some people might struggle with laziness, right? And so it, it's, it's all, again, our hearts are sneaky, right? But, but examine the fruit that's coming out of you. And this is an example that I've seen in my life. 
So a few years ago, when Lindsay and I were still in China, I started to realize that I was losing my temper with her a lot. Okay, and, and you know, I know you can say, okay, lots of people lose their temper, but it was like, you know, I was, I was saying very unkind things. I knew that I was, I was, I was being unkind to her. I wasn't being encouraging to her. I, I, was, I was losing my temper. Um, I was losing my temper more than should be expected in just kind of the typical back and forth of, of a marriage, right? So, okay, so I, I noticed that about myself. So what do I do? And you know, for, for you, you might be thinking about a particular sin, a particular kind of bad fruit that's been coming out of you recently. Maybe it's the same as what I was sharing. Maybe it's something else, but what, what should you do? Well, there's two, there's two wrong responses and then two biblical responses that, that I wanna cover real quick. The first thing to not do, the first wrong response would be to make an excuse. To make an excuse. Okay, so what would this look like for me? Okay, maybe I could say, man, I mean, she just makes me so mad, right? She, if she just communicated better, then I wouldn't get so mad. You know, if, if my job wasn't so stressful, you know, if, if, if ministry was going more smoothly, if we weren't getting pressure from the government, you know, then I wouldn't be so stressed out and I wouldn't be losing my temper, right? At the time I was, I was having trouble sleeping. I was dealing with a lot of, of insomnia. And yeah, I could say, well, you know, the reason that I'm losing my temper is because I'm not getting a good night's sleep. And again, those are all, there's a, it's the, the those are all part of the equation and, you know, should I try to get more sleep? Of course I should. Should I try to, you know, to, to, to turn down the, the stress at work? Well, of course I should. Should my wife and I learn to communicate better? Of course we should. But none of those are the root cause of what was coming out of me. Because the fact that this, that this anger and this rage and losing my temper was coming out of me shows that there's that anger inside of me, that that's a sin that I was struggling with. Because that's the, first, that's the first response that we need to avoid. And instead of making excuses, we need to be honest about, about what it is. Okay, so that's the first one. The, the second one, the second response that, that, that's maybe a little bit trickier, you know, again, we're all, we're all Christians. Well, we're all either Christians or we're, you know, you're here, right? So you're, you're interested in, in, in the gospel, you're interested in Jesus. So, you know, maybe we'll say all of us kind of have our act together and we're too, we're too moral to make excuses, right? Maybe we're all too moral to make excuses, but again, our hearts are tricky. Our hearts are tricky and very often what our hearts will do is will tell us, you better never do that again. You better never do that again. You can't ever let that happen again. You're a bad person. I can't believe you did that. You can never let that happen again. You can never look at that again. You better never say something like that again. You better never do something like that again. And then we kind of make this deal with ourselves, and we say, I'm never gonna do that again, right? I, no matter what it takes, I'm going to change, all right? And, and we try to, to change, we try to try harder. Basically what we say, we say, I, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try harder. 
I'm gonna grit my teeth and next time, you know, I, I'm getting mad. My wife is saying something, I'm getting mad. I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna get mad. And I think we all have had experience with that, right? Whether it's trying to kick a, a, an addiction or some type of habitual sin or some type of a sin pattern in our life. How long does that last? Maybe for maybe a day, maybe a week, maybe a couple weeks. And you know, I noticed for myself that my, my, I guess you could say my pride would, would carry me about a week. <laughs> that, that I could, you know, the, the shame of having lost my temper with my wife would kind of power me through about a week of kind of biting my tongue. But before too long, it's gonna come back up again, right? Because sooner or later, whatever is in the heart is gonna spill over in your words and your, and your actions. Okay, so that's the, that's the second wrong response, is to say, I'll try harder. I'm, I'm not gonna let this happen again. Okay, so what should we do? What is the right response? What's the response that Jesus is calling us to when we recognize sin in our lives? Well, two things. First of all, to confess our sin. We need to confess our sin. So 1 John 1, 8 and 9, this is one of my favorite passages. It says that if we say that we don't have sin, if we say that we, we're not sinners, if we say that we don't have sin, then we're lying and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, then Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us, to, to clean away, to wipe away all of our unrighteousness. Isn't that an awesome promise? He's saying that, you know, and very often I think when we just say, okay, I'll try harder, we're, or even actually, you know, if we make excuses, we're trying to say, well, I don't have any sin. I just need to try harder. Or, you know, it's not really my fault. It's just, you know, that person's a jerk or, or whatever. But no, we need to, to recognize the fact that this is sin that's coming out of me, not because of my circumstances, but because there's sin that's inside of me. And so for me, at, at the time, you know, yeah, just to come before the Lord and say, God, I mean, I, you know, you told me to, to love my wife like you love me, and I've been failing at that. You know, you, you're gentle, you're slow to anger, you're patient. You know, I, I, I'm unreasonable towards you so often, and you, you never, you, you, at any point you could just squash me, and you never do that. And I'm being a terrible representative of yours right now. I, I'm not acting like, like you. And I'm, I'm sorry to, to confess that. And you know what, what's true very often is that when we start confessing the sin that we see in our behavior, it uncovers more than just our behavior. It uncovers things that are deeper down inside our heart. It uncovers some of the things, remember we said a couple weeks ago, that one of the reasons our hearts are so tricky, are so deceptive, is because our hearts will take a good thing and say, you have to have this. You can't live without this. And then it becomes an idol. Right? So I remember as I was confessing my sin of speaking unkindly to my wife and of having a, a, an improper attitude and losing my temper with my wife, I started to realize that it wasn't just as simple as not expressing myself appropriately. That really what it was is that in my heart, I kind of had this idol, this thing I'd really put on a pedestal of, of being, being the perfect 
parent and having, having just a, a great, super healthy, completely perfect family. That's, that's kind of an idol that I'd had in, in my heart. And sometimes when Lindsay and I would be trying to work together on something, if things didn't go the way I thought they should have gone, I would get mad. And the reason I would get mad is because there was something that my heart was telling me, you have to have this, and that was this image of being this, you know, this, this completely healthy, perfect missionary family. And, and when I was seeing, and, and then when it felt like we weren't living up to that, I was getting angry. And then I was, I was taking that out on her. Does that make sense? So sometimes maybe our idol, again, it's good things. You know, to have a healthy family is certainly a good thing, but it's good things that our heart grabs onto and says, you better not ever let go of this under any circumstances because you can't live without this. You know, maybe it's our job. And maybe we think we just have to be successful at work no matter what. And when that's threatened, we start to get angry or, or we, 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 we try to escape from our pain with, with, with vices like pornography or drinking or, or whatever. So when we're confessing, we're confessing our behaviors and our actions, but we're also confessing the things in our heart that we have allowed to become more important than Jesus. Okay, so that's, that's the first thing that we should do when we recognize sin is we should confess it. Number two, ask Jesus for help. We should ask Jesus for help. And I know this is one of those, it sounds like the most obvious thing in the world, but I found for me, this, this really, at the time, it wasn't, I mean, I was, I was sharing the gospel with people every single, every single day or just about every single day, but I wasn't asking Jesus to help me. Isn't that stupid? It's really stupid, but it's, I just wasn't, I wasn't doing it. I mean, I, I kind of thought I was, but I was ultimately relying on myself and not Jesus. Well, think about this. You know, we talked about how when, when, when the circumstances, the pain and the difficulties in our life, when they, they tip us over, Right? When we ex experience these things, it's kind of like that cup with the water in it that's being tipped over and it reveals whatever's inside the cup. Right? Think about Jesus for a second and think about all the things that he went through. Okay, Jesus was, you know, he was, he, he's God. He was, he was with the Father and he chose to give that up. He chose to give up his 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 position in heaven with God to take on the form of a human. And not, you know, a king, but, but just a, a, regular, a regular Jewish person. Think about all the things that people did to him. You know, sometimes we make excuses for our sin because people say bad things about us. Think about all the bad things people said about Jesus. Sometimes we make excuses for our sins because, you know, because we're, we're stressed out. You know, Jesus, we think about him the night before he's betrayed, literally sweating blood because he's so stressed out because he knows what he's about to face. So here's the question. When Jesus gets tipped over in the Bible, when Jesus gets tipped over, what comes out of him? Think about this. You know, it, the most stressful moment in his life when he's, he's literally sweating blood, he's crying, just, just so... He's just so stressed about the thing he's gonna experience the next day. What comes out of him? What comes out of Jesus is total submission to the Father. And he says, not my will, but your will be done. Wouldn't you like a little bit more of that in you? Think about when Jesus, when, 
you know, when, when these Roman soldiers come up and they're going to arrest them and take them away, even though he didn't do anything wrong. And then Peter, you know, Peter's, there's multiple cups kind of, you know, at getting tipped over at the same time. And, and Peter, one of his best friends, he sees Jesus as being, he's being um, arrested unfairly. And Peter whips out his, his knife and he, he hacks off the, the ear of, of one of the servants of the people that came to arrest him. And what does Jesus do? He's, he's about to get arrested. He's about to be crucified. He heals the guy's ear. He says, Peter, we, no, put your sword, no, I'll, I'll heal the guy's ear. This guy's about to kill him and he's healing his ear. And think about maybe the clearest example when Jesus is literally hanging on the cross. He's literally hanging on the cross. You know, he's, he's the only person that hasn't deserved bad things to happen to him. And here people are, are using what was the most painful kind of excruciating form of torture that they knew at the time to put him to death, crucifixion. Jesus is hanging on the cross. This would be, you know, none of us would fault Jesus if he was like, you know what? You know, forget these guys. If, if he had some choice words to say about, about whoever. But he doesn't. What does he say? In this moment, he's praying for the people who are killing him, he's saying, God, please forgive them because they don't understand what they're doing. And so you see, you know, the, G, the cup of Jesus, it gets tipped over, it gets smashed, it gets absolutely ripped apart. But the more you tip Jesus over, the more love comes out. The more you just shake Jesus as much as you can, the more submission to the Father comes out. The more forgiveness comes out. Wouldn't you like to have more of that in you? But the problem is, I just don't have that. And that's why my efforts weren't working. That's why my efforts would just help me, you know, kind of grip my teeth and bear it and bite my tongue for about a week. But what the gospel tells us in Galatians 2.20, this last verse and then we'll close. In Galatians 2.20, Paul tells us, he tells this really strange thing that has always been really tough for me to wrap my mind around. He says that, that he has been crucified with Jesus. And so he, he says, I've been crucified with Christ, so I no longer live. But Jesus, remember Jesus, the one who, you know, you're crucifying him and he's praying for you and you're, you know, you're arresting him and he's healing your ear, that, that Jesus, I no longer live, but Jesus lives in me. And this is what it looks like for us to actually ask Jesus to help us. You know, I, before, I, you know, I was doing counseling, I, I was journaling, I was trying to, you know, to, to calm down and all this stuff. And, you know, really what I was trying to do is, is use my own efforts to take what maybe we could call the, quote unquote, the psychological approach, right? You know, and again, nothing against psychology. I really like psychology. I think it's important. Um, but, you know, I'm trying to think, okay, you know, what, what happened in my childhood that sort of triggered me to make me respond this way? All right? You know, what is it, what's going on in my heart? You know, what happened when I was in high school? Or, you know, what's, what's going on in my mind that's causing me to respond this way? And it kind of felt like I have to sort of, you know, unpack and sort of discover and, and, and yeah, to figure out what all of these different dominoes are. And if I can just figure out, okay, it was because this person said this to me when I was in college and that triggered that and triggered that and triggered that. Okay, now I cannot lose my temper with my wife. And 
all that's very valuable and it's stuff that I, that I encourage and that I still do. But it was just so freeing to me to realize that the same Jesus who you could crucify him and he was still praying for you, that he sent his spirit to live inside of me. And so I could very simply just pray and ask Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm, I'm sinning. You know, you've given me a wife so I can take care of her and to love her, but instead I'm losing my temper with her. Would you please take away my anger that's in my heart and give me more of your love so I can love her? In Jesus' name, amen. And what I found is I continually, you know, not making excuses, confessing, and then asking Jesus to help me very gradually, Jesus started to, to change me. And obviously I still make mistakes, but when I do, you know, I, I, I don't make excuses. I don't just try to rely on my own strength, but I confess and then ask Jesus to help me. And I would encourage you to do that when you encounter bad fruit in your life too. Because what we're seeing in this series, and we'll talk about this more next week, again, that it's not enough. We don't just need Jesus to try to make our spouse more lovable or our parents more reasonable or to give us a little bit more margin in our budget. What we need is a savior, somebody that can really save us, that can't just comfort us, but that can fix us. And that's what Jesus is because he's done it for us on our behalf. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for being here for us. Thank you for, we just praise you because you, you are the image of the invisible God and you're the exact representation of his likeness. And in you, all of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. We just praise you because you are the one who shows us who God is. And Jesus, I just confess for myself and for all of my brothers and sisters here that, that we can't glorify you on our own and we need you to help us. I just pray that you would take away our excuses, take away our arrogance, when we try to change on our own, please give us that, the freedom of being able to come before you, recognizing our sin and experiencing your love and your forgiveness. And we need you to change us from the inside out so we can bear fruit for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.